This episode is brought to you by, in honor of spooky season and for my little capital R romantic heart, it is always spooky season, we're going to focus on a particularly murderous historical figure, a woman so allegedly callous, evil, and torturous that an entire bloodbath of a horror genre can be said to be inspired by her actions. I am, of course, talking about Elizabeth Bathory, the sweet countess from Transylvania who was apparently so obsessed with torturing the women in her village and then bathing in their blood as a way to preserve her own youth. I mean, she passed away from natural causes in her 60s, um, which I think was probably kind of a long time in the 1600s. So maybe she was right. Honestly, I'd really rather not get into the specifics of Bathory's alleged torture techniques because you can find some pretty lengthy deep dives on the internet fairly easily. And this isn't really a gruesome podcast. It's more of a gay podcast. So what I want to talk about is her relationship with Anna Darvula, a woman notoriously called a witch and a Satanist, hello goals, during the time period. Uh, and Anna Darvula served as her main advisor after her husband died. Anna Darvula was also known to be a sadist, some say the most active sadist in Elizabeth's entourage, and she is alleged to be the one who encouraged Elizabeth to begin her ritual of bathing and serving girls' blood, and was also the one who instructed Elizabeth's servants on how to kidnap, abduct, and murder these serving girls, allegedly. And most accounts point to a relationship between the two of them. Bathory also spent a lot of time at her openly bisexual aunt's home. I mean, I know that's disgusting. Not the bisexual part, you know, spending a lot of time there. But these were nobles during the Middle Ages. Incest was not only definitely a thing, but pretty much openly encouraged. Um, Elizabeth's parents were brother and sister, so... It's definitely not out of the ordinary. So after Anna Darvula died, Bathory shacked up with a woman who was a widow of one of the farmers in the area. So she was clearly more comfortable in the arms of women. So while I certainly don't condone or admire the actions of Elizabeth Bathory, she's one of those historical characters who becomes more interesting and fascinating as you learn more about them. And, like, as a little quick side note, most Hungarian historians believe the legends told of Bathory are either grossly inflated, i.e. she was no more vicious than any other cruel noble at the time, or outright lies meant to depose Bathory after her husband died as a way of taking her lands and wealth. I'm not convinced, though. I mean, you expect me to believe rich, powerful men told lies about a woman and got away with it? That's ridiculous. Anyways, this is Out of History. This means that we can walk the streets as ourselves and not be harassed by anybody. Just be ourselves. Be proud to be ourselves. I think we need a radically new definition of what it means to be masculine. Fucked up society when the army gives me a medal for killing a man. And a dishonorable discharge for loving me. The way that society is now, there are certain people who can't afford to watch. So those who can do it on 
on behalf of those who can. Welcome back to Out of History, a queer history podcast where I explore the not-so-straight histories they didn't tell you about in your world history class. A quick disclaimer, which is just the quick version of the long disclaimer I keep talking about. I strive to base my statements in this podcast on researched history rather than salacious gossip. I prefer facts and figures to back up everything I say here. And this isn't to say I'll never include a firsthand historical account by somebody. Um, Obviously, you can't always believe the things people will write and say for attention, but often the words of others are all you have to go on. I mean, we are, after all, a society that was basically built on oral tradition. So I feel it's ridiculous to completely dismiss oral history. However, I will never let this podcast evolve into a platform for rumors and hearsay. So I hope that gave you the warm fuzzies. Because it wasn't supposed to, but whatever. For the past few episodes, we've been hanging out in the mid-1900s, frolicking around America and especially Hollywood. But in this episode, we'll be doing neither of those things. We're going to be discussing a figure from the 1400s who spent his time in Florence, Italy, making artwork people still discuss and admire today. You could very well call him a a renaissance man. Okay, okay. Obviously, I'm talking about Leonardo da Vinci. Genius, inventor, artist, painter, writer, engineer, geologist, astronomer, botanist, historian, cartographer, etc., etc., etc. Like, you get it. It's so... (laughs) It's almost depressing to read all the things da Vinci is good at when you're barely good at one thing. I mean, for me, I'm just like a really good dresser. Not like... I mean, like, I'm really good at dressing nice. I'm not like a dresser, like a thing to hold clothes in, like a dresser is in like, I wear nice outfits. Anyways, <clears throat> Da Vinci puts most people to shame, even me, especially when you find out he worked his way out of poverty. Yeah, he wasn't born in a nobleman or even into a wealthy family. He was the illegitimate son of a lawyer and never received the sort of classical education the highborn boys got. But he displayed a natural artistic talent at an early age, and so he was sent to Florence to apprentice under the wing of a famed painter whose name I will probably butcher because I am a sad American. But let's let's try. Mm. So famed painter Andrea del Vraccio. Sure, why not? Whatever. You can find out any of this stuff in a biography of da Vinci, of which, I mean, unsurprisingly, there are many. So let's get into some fun stuff. I mean, that's what you're listening for anyway, right? Uh, Starting with this side note. Apparently at the time, Florenzer, aka someone from Florence, was German slang for homosexual. And uh, that was pretty much where da Vinci hung out most of the time. Uh, Indeed, during his time in Florence, da Vinci was arrested twice, that is two times, for the crime of sodomy. And he was released both times. And both times he was arrested, he was also with a group of other young men. The first time, one of the young men was a nobleman, so they were allegedly able to get the charges dropped. And then the second time, no witnesses ever came forward, so the charges were dropped against him. Now, during this time in Florence, it wasn't unheard of for people to lob false accusations against people. However, there wasn't much to gain from a young man with little money and few connections. It's not like you were going to try and blackmail Leonardo da Vinci for 
his paintbrushes and his cloak, there just wasn't a whole lot to get from him. I mean, sure, he had some wealthy friends and he was training under one of the best masters of the time, but why drag him into it instead of just the nobleman he was friends with? And I mean, other than that, there are, of course, other reasons to think da Vinci wasn't exactly, you know, interested in women. For one, you're no doubt aware he was prolific when it came to sketching the human body and anatomy. This was the guy who sketched the Vitruvian Man, after all. Uh, which, by the way, is a sketch used by da Vinci to ponder ideal human proportions as proposed by ancient Roman architect Vitruvius. The drawing has come to symbolize the image of the Renaissance man as a whole, a person perfectly in proportion with the world around him. Um, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the story, but that's just one of those fun little facts, which I thought, thought you might like too. Da Vinci even went as far as examining cadavers to make sure he understood anatomy completely. Supposedly, he painted the famous smile on the Mona Lisa after using cadavers to observe the way mouth muscles move. That's why she's smiling. That's pretty creepy, but I kind of like it. Uh, yeah, when you look at his sketchbooks, one thing starts to stand out, though. A majority of the nudes in his sketchbook are of men. He does sketch women and the nude female form but it's really not difficult to notice that the male sketches are much more detailed and received more attention from the artist. I mean, we're not talking like nearly as bad as Michelangelo, who literally painted women in the Sistine Chapel as super buff dudes with grapefruit tits. But um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Michelangelo in a little bit. Anyways, additionally, in one of his notebooks, da Vinci claims to be disgusted by male-female relations. And I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm not uh, trying to extrapolate from something he said that might be a little obtuse. Uh, this is literally what he said. The act of procreation and anything that has any relation to it is so disgusting that human beings would soon die out if there were no pretty faces and sensuous dispositions. Sure, it, it's no wonder he never got married and never had kids. Um, in fact, for all that we know about Leonardo da Vinci, there's literally no historical record of him ever being involved with a woman. Hmm. And then there's, you know, there's the matter of his two main apprentices, uh, whose names I will probably also butcher. I'm so sorry, Italians. I'm actually taking Italian on Duolingo right now, and I still know I'm going to struggle with these. Uh, Francesco Melzi and Gian Giacomo Caprotti Dalreno, thankfully nicknamed Salai or Salai. I think I like Salai more. I'm gonna go with Salai, although it's probably Salai. No, that seems more French. We're going with Salai. Although he might not have been terribly fond of that particular nickname because it means little devil. Although to be fair, uh, Salai absolutely was one. Leonardo himself refers to him as a thief, a liar, stubborn, and a glutton. He frequently stole valuables from the da Vinci household and spent a fortune on himself. Yet da Vinci kept him on as an apprentice for 30 goddamn years. He even uses him as a model in many of his sketches and at least one painting, um, that of John the Baptist. And you should definitely look this painting up because it looks a little saucy to me. Maybe just me, probably not me, just me because a lot of art historians have written about it, but you know. Just look it up. Just look it up. Pause. Look it up. Come back. Not along with me. 
Most people wondered why Da Vinci kept Soleil on, despite his awful behavior. Um, da Vinci even gifted the Mona Lisa to Soleil in his will, if you can fucking believe that. His mo- probably his most famous painting of all time given to this little shithead. And everyone was extremely confused as to why Da Vinci kept putting up with this entire shithead. So Melzi, the other apprentice I mentioned before, was with Da Vinci to his dying day. When Da Vinci passed, it was actually Melzi who sent letters to Da Vinci's brothers to let them know of his death. Melzi even said in these letters, everyone is grieved at the loss of such a man that nature no longer has it in her power to produce. I mean, can somebody fucking like resurrect this guy and have him write my fucking obituary? Or if you're a young Italian, can you come be my assistant for like my entire life? And uh, when I die, write pretty things like that about me, please. So Melzi was also the one placed in charge of Leonardo's prized notebooks to prepare them for publication postmortem. So one of the other most iconic parts of Leonardo's existence in the hands of his other apprentice. So he has family. He has other people, um, other artists he was friends with. He has his sponsors anyone he could have trusted with this, and he trusted his two apprentices who were with him his entire life. And I told you we were going to talk about Michelangelo again. So there's another little piece of evidence relating to da Vinci's relationship with Michelangelo, and not that kind of relationship. I know what you're thinking. Not that kind. I'm afraid you're only going to find that in some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles slash fic. Anyways, according to the sources of the day, Michelangelo was not a fan of da Vinci. He frequently chastised the older artist for his inability to complete works, which, to be honest, is pretty fair. Da Vinci would often take decades to complete a project, if he ever even did. Usually this was due to him waiting until he had more of an idea about the anatomy of the subject. Um, for instance, once he started the Mona Lisa, he worked on it for the rest of his life, adding little touches and flourishes to better the painting. Um, there are a ton of da Vinci paintings, which are considered unfinished. Um, many people believe Michelangelo was also antagonistic towards da Vinci because of his jealousy or animosity, since Michelangelo was also fairly talented and prolific, yet he did not receive the adoration da Vinci did. However, there are also biographers who believe another reason was that while Michelangelo was considered celibate, yet channeled an interest in men through his work, in addition to the Sistine Chapel, which I mentioned earlier, which shows he has no idea what the female form looks like, uh, there's also his statue of David. Anyways, da Vinci was apparently very comfortable with his sexuality, and that perhaps made the younger man additionally jealous in a way he couldn't immediately pinpoint. The topic of da Vinci's sexuality fluctuates in and out of vogue, kind of depending on who's running history at that particular period of time. Freud even wrote an essay about it based on a dream da Vinci talks about in one of his journals. Most scholars today agree that da Vinci was most likely homosexual, based on his seeming disdain for heterosexual intercourse and his very close relationships with other men. So, I feel like it's fair to say, Leonardo da Vinci, genius, inventor, artist, painter, writer, engineer, geologist, astronomer, botanist, historian, cartographer, and gay. 
Thanks for listening to the, another episode, guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. There's very little I love talking about more than art history. So if you also love talking about art history, please uh, shoot me an email at out.of.queer.history at gmail.com. And many thanks for this episode go out to Walter Isaacson's moving biography of Leonardo da Vinci, as well as the excellent biographies by Michael White, Claire Farrago, and Ben Lytall. Also, while I was doing my research for this episode, I found out there's going to be a series about da Vinci by Frank Spotnitz and Steve Thompson, which is allegedly going to portray him as a gay man. Um, I feel like it was supposed to be released in 2019 so maybe it'll be released in 2020 i don't know keep your eyes peeled but thanks for listening again guys i really do appreciate all the support from this podcast and all of the messages i have received from people who are enjoying it so it just makes my day keep on sending them if you enjoyed this episode please take time to leave a quick review and maybe even give us a rating and also you can support us by telling your friends about this podcast and sharing it with them and see if they can see that history is a little gayer than they think it is. And don't forget, you're making your very own history every day. So make it a good one. We'll see you in a few weeks. And that in hopes that someday there'll be no need to demonstrate the right to make love to anybody you want, any way you want. Or you gotta start somewhere.